0: And welcome back to Creative Space, ladies and gentlemen. I am your host, Julie Reese deans And on today's episode of Creative Space for Episode 5, I have none other than the Tony Award-winning playwright, JT Rogers. JT Rogers is a playwright who has written many, many plays, and he is currently uh, in development of a brand new TV show called Tokyo Vice. And he's written plays such as The Overwhelming, Blood and Gifts, and his Tony Awards-winning play. The one that's won him the Tony Awards that is Oslo, which has also gone on to become a TV film jt and i sat down a couple of weeks ago to talk about his career i actually uh, stayed up until quarter past 11 to 12 o'clock at night just to speak to him and it was such an honor for him to come on my show just to talk about his career and talk about what he has done and what he's looking to do in the future and it was like i said a big honor so without further ado it's me and jt rogers on creative space podcast enjoy So i'm very uh politeness. i don't know whether to call you jt or mr rogers or, no no
1: Jake, please jt is J- perfect
0: jt so jt rogers i mean i'm absolutely thrilled and honored for you to be part of creative space you know this is a brand new podcast and and a lot of people have always told me that uh not uh, not many people when they start off with brand new podcast they um it's ready to get the, the main, you know, Tony winners or big-time writers or anything like that to come on. Just, so I really am thankful for you uh, to, to be part of a Creative Station podcast to talk about your career now. So thank you very much.
1: Well, you're welcome. It's really, it's lovely to be with you.
0: It's not a problem. So um I think I'm going to start this off because uh, as, as a playwright as well, I feel like I'm still learning, uh, still learning the uh, the bits here and there. So I'm really glad that a fellow uh, playwright like yourself who's, who's, been, to, who's been there, who's, who's had their plays done in London on the West End and in Broadway. But I really wanna know, how, how did it start? Uh, what was the reason behind Playwright? Did you just feel like you love the theater so much that you wanna be more as creative than being on stage or, or something?
1: Well, I was uh, an actor. I I've always wanted to be a stage actor, not just an actor, but specifically a stage actor from when I was nine. Which in hindsight, now having a, a kid, it's bizarre. Um, you know, so I was into like John Gielgud, <laughs> and not <laughs> Harrison Ford. Um, so I, I did that, and I and I did all through you know kids theater and uh, speech and debate tournaments, which were a huge thing in the United States, especially in the Midwest. And I went to a conservatory, act you know, sort of um, the North Carolina School of Arts for acting, which is sort of like going to Lambda Arada for acting. It's, you know, it's very prestigious and rig- very, very rigorous program. It was amazing. But while I was there, I started writing short plays as you do start out on my own and, and had these incredible facilities, which I didn't understand two years later. You know, this is pre-litigious America. So, you know, it was midnight, you were done with your rehearsals for your Shakespeare play and you could then have this multi-million dollar facility to do whatever you wanted till four in the morning. So you could put on shows, and four or 500 people would come, you know, two, well, it depends on the size of space, 200, 300. And it would be decades before I had that many people (laughs) come see a play of mine again. So it was like, ah, this is, and then I just sort of, in hindsight, oddly without um, anxiety or or stress just sort of switched, switched. And I came to New York 30 years ago now and um, with cohorts from drama school, we started a little company and you could pull that off back then financially and meet up with a space in Times Square. And I was doing all these, plays and learning how to, to be a writer while running the company and clean the toilets. And and then um, we did that for eight years. And then we that sort of in, imploded and then we just couldn't, you know, it just breaks your back if you haven't got to a certain point. And it's incredibly, you know, hard to run institution as I even a tiny one, tiny as I learned. So it was very humbling. It was great. And then I sort of started over not knowing anyone and then you know in, in the profession as in the, the professional New York theater in a way. And I just um, you know then the years and years later, I became, as everyone does, the quote unquote overnight sensation when I got the national took um, my play, The Overwhelming, sort of off the slush pile and said, We're going to do this immediately. And then I was sort of off to the races. But in hindsight, if I hadn't spent all those years having to learn how to do it without anyone paying attention, I think it would have been a disaster for me. So, it, you know, it, again, it's, hindsight's says twenty twenty, but it was really a fortuitous for me that it took so long. So I had to figure out what did I believe in as a writer, what was I trying to say, how to make the scripts better. Um, there's a great quote by John Guer, and John says that you know, playwriting is the only profession where you do all your learning in public, which I think is true. Yeah. Even today, I'll, it never ends. You, you put something up, you're like, oh, that's what the play is about. Okay, that's that's and that 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 needs to change and that needs to change. And so that was the that was the root of it. Yeah. Um, one of the things I really want to know is, uh, as like I said, as a fellow
0: playwright, is um, it's always the approach to uh, to writing your plays. You know, what what is the actual main approach to do? You, do you start off? because uh, I, I've spoken to a couple of uh, a number of writers. They always say I just get straight into the story, or they start off with character. They start off with um, the proper uh, structure outline of why right, this this character's got to go from a, uh, point A to point B, then vice versa. So, at as a writer and when you come to write in your plays, how yeah. do you approach uh, the planning and stru- structure of your plays?
1: The honest answer is, I don't know. Every, every time you're like, oh my God, this won't work. I'm a terrible writer, what am I doing? I forgot everything I learned last time. So that's the honest truth of it. And then you sort of snip your way through it. And I think it's a little different every time. I, I have colleagues who have a system, which I admire, but I don't, depends on the project, um, for some plays. Uh, I have a play that's very dear to my heart that's been you know, very well received years ago called Madagascar. And that play I was writing for months and months and months having no idea what the story was. And one day it came to me through their voices and I was so stunned I had to stand and walk around the room and shake it off. But a play like Oslo, but in the, and in, the in, in hindsight, again, using that phrase, you always feel smart because you realize only in hindsight, oh, that's that's why I was doing X. Mm don't know it at the time so in in hindsight i understand it was a play about a mystery and so it was a mystery to me as i made it stressful oh yeah but but then with with oslo because the real event and the real um, story and the complexities of everything i'd read was so intricate that i realized and had just come off doing a lot of film and tv work for the last couple of years and learning that skill set I realized that I had to map it out in a way that I had never done before. And they would and le- literally leave chunks like something interesting happens here. <laughs> but I had to map it out and I left those interesting chunks so I'd be inspired, et cetera. But the mapping was requisite because it was just too complex not to have built some sort of scaffolding. So again, yeah. it, that, those are two extremes, but that's really, so it really depends on the project yeah. for me. Because what I've noticed as well
0: from, from- a variety of pace like um, the overwhelming uh, Oslo and blood and gifts and everything. There's always uh, there's always a backdrop of something, especially, you know, with the, the overwhelming is the backdrop of the uh, Rwanda genocide events. And uh, then you got uh, the Oslo o- o- courts where uh, it's all to do with the, uh, the Palestinian and Israeli uh, conflicts. And then you got uh, blood and gifts, which is a control over uh, Afghanistan. There's always a historical backdrop. So um is it always intended? I, I know you probably said you you don't know where you're going with the story, but it no, always no, like? that's
1: a great question. I don't. There's a difference between not knowing where you're going in the story and what you're drawn to to tell as a story. Mm. And for me, I spent a lot of years as a young writer um, trying to be. I mean, look, if you were a, a straight male playwright coming of age when I did, um, we used to call straight male playwright. If you it didn't admit that you were influenced by David Mamet or he was the stone under which you had to get, you weren't being honest. I mean, he was such a such a shadow, and so I was doing all this sort of Ertzat Mamet, Ertzat this, but especially him. And then finally, over a number of years, I realized, oh, why don't you write plays about the things you actually interest you, the things that you talk about over a drink? Why don't you write a play about that? And you know, I grew up in a household of. But politics was sort of the bread and butter of conversation, a child of political scientists and history, and all this stuff just fascinates me and gets me going. And so, again, hindsight. But I I think with the overwhelming, that was the first play where I sort of figured that, uh, or actually my play White People before that. But uh, actually, that, that was the first play when I was, let's, I like to talk. I'm constantly talking, so my people should talk because then it will be true to me. The plays are never, the plays are in Tennessee Williams phrase is emotionally autobiographical, not literally autobiographical, but that was sort of an aha moment again, you know, for me. Um, And I'm, I am to be broadly, well, to be sweeping, but I think there's some truth to this at the same time. British playwriting is rooted in the public and American playwriting is rooted in the private. And good and good, you know, horrible to brilliant American plays are usually rooted in the pri- private stories about family. And terrible to great British plays are usually rated either about a public event or a personal event against a public event. It's just apples and oranges out of the culture that come out of I just happen to be much more British in that regard, UKish and, and not And so, which is, again, looking back over, having done this long enough to go look back and see patterns you didn't at the time because you were just terrified and trying to do the work, doubting yourself. I think there's a reason that my career really took off in the UK and why I love working in the UK because I feel the audiences and the kind of place I'm working are more... In America, I'm JT Rogers, the political playwright. Mm. In the UK, I'm a playwright. Mm. And... um, so so there's that. Because I, I wanted to say that because um,
0: uh, one of the things that I've written, I, th- I wrote this, um, I wrote this play. I haven't really given it a title yet. I just called it The Troubles Play because I did not know what to call it. I made uh, oh, yes. it's still uh, obviously you, you get where it's going. It's all to do with The Troubles <laughs> in, in yeah, yeah. Belfast. And, and one of the reasons why is because uh, obviously I'm a big um, uh, soccer fan. And uh, my team Barry qualified for this European competition where we played against a team in Belfast called Cliftonville, and didn't know anything about the troubles. I don't know if that was just me being naive or whatever, but um, some of my mates said. Oh, uh, a friend of mine, Leon, uh, said to me, "Look up. Um, you got to look up the troubles, and you got to just be careful." say and I, I said, "All right, then I'll just do my research. I research all the troubles. Oh, this is this. This is that." And and. And then we went to Belfast. And for some reason, the, the whole historical context of the Troubles just really fascinated me. I was like, oh my God, you know, this really just basically happened on our front doorstep because uh, it's, it's only right next door, you know, with Ireland and Northern Ireland, right. etc. And, and And it was then because after I came back, I was so fixated on um, this one particular part where we're on a tour. And the, the tourist said that sur- sort of further on the outskirts of Belfast, You won't get many people who are either, um, you know, pro-Catholic or pro-Protestant or pro-IRA or uh, pro-UVF. They're very neutral. I just thought to myself, what if maybe there was, but I said, what if there was a a family during the the height of the Troubles where they were neither allegiance to no no one, but there's someone in the family is going to cause that? And I just wrote this play and everyone just went... Bloody obvious! that's not really uh, you. Where did you come up with that? I went, I don't bloody know.
1: <laughs> well, let me ask you a question, did it, did it, working on it, did it scare you? Did it make you like, well, I, am not I going to, you know, did it make you anxious, scared to write it? Oh, yeah, because well, of... that's good, because if you don't, this is the thing, whether you're writing about the a, um, a troubles or you're writing about your grandmother, if the play, if the idea of it doesn't scare the hell out of you, then you probably shouldn't write that play. Mm. That's the thing I've learned. You know, like it needs to be, oh God, I can never pull this off or who am I to do this? Or this is, I am I suck, this is beyond my capacities. Those are the plays that we should write, not the plays that we feel like, oh yeah, I can do that. You know, th- those are the, so that's good. That's good. Cause yeah. I, I find that the, the things I end up writing are the ones where I get it. I go, wow, I want to write about that. And then I think, oh my God, that's impossible. Mm. I'm more than once on a, like a film project, I've gone into meetings saying, well, no, look, you can't do it. Here's why you can't do it. And by the meeting, I'm like, okay, so I'm gonna do it. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I counted the call to tell you why, thanks, but no thanks. But now I'm actually telling you, please, you should hire me because I actually realized that it's impossible. So I wanna do it. <laughs> <laughs> I wanna push it, let's do this. <laughs> but it has to be impossible And the thing. That's something that, that you know, one of the things that is, a, someone asked me recently, like, what is it in an interview somewhere what, why do you pick the things you want? You, I don't think you so They sort of pick you, you just you're constantly experiencing things or seeing things or doing whatever. That's my beloved, yes, Coming okay. Um, and sorry. don't be sorry, it's life, it's life, it's not life, it's all good, it's all pretty. Yeah, good. Life. So, they. The things you end up doing are the things that you sort of you get you get an itch you get an itch about, and you don't know. For me, at least, you don't know why sometimes why you want to do them. You have to work on them to figure out why you want to do them. And mm-hmm. um, it's sort of like you don't want to glance too much at this. I've, I think I've had plays I wanted to write that I end up not writing because I looked too clearly, and it was so clear about why I should do it and what it's about, and then it just sort of the 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 mystery of it went away or the something was exposed too early to the light. And then, so I didn't do it. So I try to, I have a big play I want to write that I um, for here in New York. And I won't sort of allow myself to think more than beyond the, the outline of what it's set against because I don't want to, I kind of know, but don't really want to know why I'm so driven to write it. I want to get into it and let it figure it, you know, let it tell me.
0: I think uh, when we, referenced a lot when you did the comparisons that in America you are referred to as the political playwright and then you've referred to the UK in the UK you're referred to as a playwright um did it all start because from my research
1: did it all start with um the, the national theatre for you I mean well did you just start in terms of a career I mean because they're different right the, art, the making of the work and the world paying attention to making of the work are not the same thing you know I, I think yeah. so um,
0: did, did anyone start paying attention? Did the whole world start paying attention
1: to your work when it came from the National Theatre? Yeah, I mean, I know the whole world. It is a yeah. playwright. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, no, it was a big, you know, I couldn't get arrested in New York. I mean, really, I couldn't get arrested. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, all these people want to do your play. Goodness. So that was heady. But yeah, no, so I, I feel like the National, I've done three plays at the National. I feel like it's my home over there both because it's such an, incri- I mean, come on, it's an incredible place to work. You're at the bloody National Theater, come on. But I've just loved the culture of the building and the culture of doing theater there. And yeah, that really was the div- dividing moment, the, the, the line after which things changed. Uh, one of the, I, I must mention
0: uh, Oslo because it, I, I don't know why, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, if, if that was the play that really got you out there you know, that ta-da moment uh,
1: in- in Well, to be honest, I thought I was there and then the play happened and I was like, oh, I wasn't there. Now I'm there. I I was obviously too self-involved to realize that I wasn't there. (laughs) (laughs) That's what happened. It's like, oh, I thought I was. was. But see, that's a perfect example of something I was thinking about knowing we were going to chat today is you have to write the plays you... You have to write the plays that you need to write and not write the plays that you should write, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's a, there's some overlap in the UK and the US, but certainly in the US there's a constant pressure point of don't make a big play too big, don't make a play too political, don't make a play too long, don't make a play too X, because the economic considerations are so rigorous, would be a positive way of putting it. So in the case of The Overwhelming, the play that The National did that set me on a career path, I wouldn't even show that play to my agent. I did a workshop in Philadelphia that went like Gangbusters and my agent who's been my one and only theater agent. He said to me, so I've been lying and saying how great your play is. All these theaters are calling in New York and saying, yeah, I've heard this play is so great. That was just workshop in Philadelphia. Uh, Can we have it? And I said, yeah, it's great, it's great. But I don't even know what it's about. You got to demo the play. I said, no, I don't want to give it, you know, it's never going to get done. If they wouldn't do my three character white people in the living room play, they're not going to do a play that's 11 actors, nine of them or eight of them are francophone Afrique and have to speak French. Or forget it. It's not going to happen. I just had to write the play. Well, he then called me next day and said, you're a fool. This is the play. This is the one. And, was like, and he was going on, and on about it. I said, well, what? You send it to the National. I mean, let's do it. Why not? And then months later, I got a call out of the blue from Nick Heitner because I was changing my diaper. So right there's that. And then with the Oslo, I knew we would get done because I had a relationship with Lincoln Center, which is you can't stress how important it is as a playwright to have a home because you know your work will get done or has a very good chance of getting done. That allows you to take risks. So I was writing it specifically for that space and that director. But if you had told me, yes, so the play, the three-hour play about Israel-Palestine where you have the PLO on stage in in the Upper West Side of New York, that's the play that's going to go to Broadway, I'd have laughed you out the door. So you just don't know. That was going to be a, you know, two months and done, never to be done again, play, but I just needed to do it. So I think that answers your question. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> absolutely fine. But Sorry. I was going to say, I'm a bit round the houses tonight. Barely. Yeah, no,
0: no, no, that's absolutely fine. I mean, because it's, it's like you said, you know, uh, if, if this was the play to,
1: to take me to the, the Tony Awards, but I was never a plan. People say, oh, like he was very clever, or she was clever about this, mm-hmm. or they must have had a master plan. I don't know any. I guess there are exceptions, of course, to every rule. But I don't know any artists that I admire that have a plan. You, you know, you you might have, you know, you might you might you might have a fi- well, you might make a five-year plan, but after six months, that five-year can get blown up because of this. fat happens to the work, or this new thought, or this withers on the vine, and you just have to. You know, it's the uncertainty that the unknownness of it, which is very anxiety-provoking, but you just have to 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 travel into the dark creatively and see what happens.
0: Yeah. Uh, going on to the, like I said, on to the, the, the Tony Awards. Um, when your name and the play popped up and you were just sat there, what, what was going through you at the time? Did you just think to yourself, did, did they just say my name right? Or is this just a big joke? Am I dreaming this? Or is this a
1: for real? I, it was... I was, I, I had been told by colleagues I really trust, if you win, you'll just be more relieved than happy, which was true. You're like, oh, thank God. Uh, I was so stressed about it. Um, the other thing I realized, look, the honest truth is if you become the front runner for something, then if you're gonna, you don't win, then then that must be, that's terrible. So I was really anxious about, I was like, everyone says I was gonna win, so I was gonna say I wasn't gonna win. And that meant there'd be 2,000 phone calls to return, all of which said to me, oh, I'm so sorry, why didn't you win? <laughs> That's not an experience you want to relive. <laughs> so I wasn't more relieved that, but I never thought I would make work that would win um, those sort of awards. Not that I don't have ambition, like any writer, if you're, if you're honest, you're sort of plugging away in, in solitude and, and disinterest for many years. But that play, particularly that play ran the table, run every award in New York has never been done before. and. I sort of felt as it was happening, oh, well, this is my quota. I'm getting, I'm getting my unexpected, getting my quota for my whole career. This is, this is all amazing. And just try to enjoy being the thing that was more exciting than the awards was all the people I got to meet. I mean, that's one of the things about a career is you, if you're so fortunate, you get to meet all the people that you grew up admiring, either your, your, your betters and elders or even your colleagues. And get to have conversations about well, why are you doing this work and how you how are you dealing with that and what was it like and hey hey isn't this great we're both up for a so so award that's the sort of special thing about it and much more than the award itself it's just the experience of the people you get to um become enmeshed with mm. uh what about with
0: um, when it when your play got turned into a a, a tv movie and um, one of the lists of executive producers having to be a familiar Mr. Steven Spielberg.
1: I don't know if you know him, but... Uh, but um, no, it's pretty... It's pretty. I mean, the, that film was made by HBO, Steven's Company, Amblin, and Mark Platt's Company. And those are, you know, those are three really special people in the film world to work with. So it was, it was great. I mean, it was very arduous. It was shot during COVID in yeah. the Czech Republic, which was at the time the hotspot in East Central Europe, maybe all of Europe at the time. That wasn't the plan when it was selected, but life is a way of being funny, right? So it was it was very arduous to do, but it was um yeah it was great. It was a really a, a really fascinating experience as an artist to turn something I made. I always wanted to make a movie of it at the same time as I was in first envisioning the project, but to actually make it move from well the goal, and I I think we achieved this. Could be wrong. But the thing I'm most pleased about was that. The film of Oslo feels like a film, not a, a film to play. Hmm. And that was really difficult for me, just learning. It's one thing to learn how to write a movie or television on the fly. You, you should learn these muscles, but then to do it with your own work that was conceived as a deeply theatrical piece was was tough. But it was a, such a learn. You know, I was very humbling and I learned a lot and I was a really I loved doing it.
0: Yeah.
1: When you uh, did you ever get to meet. Um... Spielberg
0: through the, the yeah. post... no, you never no,
1: I, I I had the wonderful problem of I, I very quickly into the process of doing the film, I had to fly to Tokyo to take the reins of the my first ever TV show. So I was showrunning mm. to Tokyo while most of the filming happened in in the for Oslo in, in Prague. Yeah. So, so but I had this deep relationship with the director, Bart uh, Shear. And so you know he would call me on set, his set to my set, like is it okay if we change this line <laughs> what do you think you know because he's a theater guy too and we have a real simpatico and we so in essence it, he is a director and he's brilliant and he did a wonderful job but it was our I didn't have to be there I can't think of another director I'd feel that way but I didn't have to be there to to be participating in a strange way if that. makes sense.
0: no yeah yeah because it's like uh I, I have it uh, I've seen um uh, some of the clips in I do look at Wikipedia every now and then. It's like Tokyo Vice is on there, and it's uh, based off the novel. Could you um, uh, explain more uh, uh, about the story in uh, in whatever capacity I'm, you can explain?
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm i I'm, uh, I'm making this is I'm doing a series for HBO Max, which will come out uh, next year, and we're we're in the the, the final stages of the post production, the editing, and the music, and the film, and the locking of picture and it's uh i created it and was the main writer and the the showrunner on the ground and it's a in it's about the first ever it's based on a, a, a much acclaimed memoir from about 10 years ago the about, about Jake Adelstein who's the first ever foreigner to be hired to write in Japanese for a Japanese newspaper and he was writing in Japanese for the um, the equivalent in terms of scope and influence roughly of what would what would be the New York Times in Japan, to, to pull an analogy. And he was on the crime beat, the vice beat, and he got in deep with the Yakuza, the Japanese mafia. Yeah. So, but Jake Adelstein was my friend from high school. We've been close for oh, a while. Oh, never. Yeah. So I've been trying to make some of this for 10 years and finally it's yeah. happened, it's amazing. And he's a, you know, hip, hip, locked with me to the hip consultant on the show and we shot it all in Japan during during covid <laughs> and uh, it's in Japanese and English it's got a really extraordinary cast and it's sort of like it's certainly for it's the longest shooting by by a mile longest shooting foreign production English language production ever in Japan it's all shot mostly on location which i didn't realize what a i went in with many things making the show having no idea what i was doing and it made it much harder but at the end I think the results are great. I probably my not knowing what I was doing was probably beneficially and artistically for the project. I had never done TV before. Here I was making, being in charge of the show, which is a bit madness. (laughs) So when, (laughs) so
0: where did Michael Mann come into play? Then was it a a decision that was done by? Michael was
1: brought in. Michael, yeah, Michael was brought in. He did the first episode, uh, and there's eight. He did one. Uh, episode one, and then three other directors split the other episodes. So when, yeah. Oh, sorry. Carry on. The the show was already set up. The actors set up and the show was set up and and set up to to be, and then we were looking for a director to do the first episode and and it worked out for Michael to come do it.
0: Hmm. So going on to, just going back on some of the other plays as well. um, The one I'm really intrigued about is uh, Blood and Gifts, which is sort of the, I think it's, because I, I said, I don't know why I wrote this, it. like control over Afghanistan. Was it during the,
1: was it the, the battle between Afghanistan and Soviet Union or? Um... It's a play set from 81 to 91 in five acts, not literal acts, but it, it's in five parts, uh, moving ahead two years of each sequence. And it sort of covers like two years, two years, two years, two years, for, for five times. And it's, you're from the lives of the American spy, British spy, Afghan uh, warlord, ISI, Agent Pakistan, KGB, and you're sort of seeing the great game as it were through them and they're shifting alliances, friendships, enemy conflicts. And sort of what lay, the, for an American audience, is what lay the groundwork for what became the world we're living in now, you know, politically. And, but that, going back to what we're talking about earlier, that all happened because I got approached by the Tricycle Theater. They were doing the great game Afghanistan, this, you know, vast project covering the whole history of, the, the West and Afghanistan, mostly Britain, but the West, you know, British Empire, and they wanted an American, and they're like, "Well, he's that, you know, token, um, he's our token American playwright <laughs> over here." You know, so, which I'm delighted to be that for the British theater, and they said, "Well, here's what's left. These are the four sort of the, anything interesting." I was like, "Oh yeah, CIA Stinger missiles. That's that's so. I don't know why it's so me. Okay, great." And so I wrote this 25 minute play, and it was just arduous to write it. And in the end, I was pleased with it. And it w- was well received. But I realized, oh, it's so hard, because I was trying to cram a whole massive play into this short play. So a long story short, I I then expanded it uh, a- a- and it became a whole another enormous thing. So that the, the bones of the, there's through, I think it's three scenes. I I'm read the one act version, you know, um, in years. But I think it's the, the three or four scenes, which are very concentrated versions of three or four scenes in the play, but it's just a sort of a drop, a series of droplets into a great body of water, which is the bigger. But again, it never would have happened if I hadn't been approached, and I thought, oh, that's kind of for me, and I don't know why, but that's really interesting, and and then you just uh, you get swept away, your plans blown up. I was planning to write something else completely, which I never wrote because of that. So you just never know. Which one was you more uh, scared to write then, as you say, you know? Well, they're all, I mean, they're just all scary. Yeah. I, 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 probably a little scarier earlier, just because once you've done it, you can tell yourself on a good day, you'll be able to do it again. I can't remember his name, forgive me, but the, the playwright, British playwright who wrote The Rumpel of the Bailey, plays and the novels and your marvelous British dramaturg. In his writing study, he had every award he'd ever won, just like every title framed. everything just framed massively. And that fellow I know is there was giving him crap saying, you know, it's a bit, it's a bit much to have all that on your own wall, isn't it? He said, well, no, I have it up there so that when every day when it's going badly, I can look at the wall and go, I did it before. So you will be able to do it again, even though today it feels impossible. So there's a little bit of that of late but it's never easy it's you know it's it's just it shouldn't be unfortunately it should be hard and painful and scary otherwise it's too easy when it was, did it, it, was <laughs> it was um
0: uh one of the notes uh, i've got on here and it's going back into 2009 and it said uh it, it says that you were uh the only um american playwright to create the was it, the, the great game you was like one of the yeah, 11 yeah. playwrights that was, it
1: led to blood and gifts that was the i was well, the Amer- 11 or 12 players i was the american and uh, can you explain or elaborate a bit more what
0: was behind that when it got into blood and gifts what what came about from the start when you became part of this one of 11 and came on to fight
1: blood and came, gifts came up, what, just so i'm clear to give you a decent answer you, what do you mean in terms of how did it come about or yeah yes how did it come about well, just i, I Plus, what I'd said a moment ago, was that yeah. I was approached by the tricycle, by Nick Kent, who ran at the time, and said, hey, would you be interested in joining this project? Yes. Here's our four remaining historical moments that you could choose from. You know, I was, they'd, they'd wrapped up, you know, major, major British players before they came to me, understandably. And I just sort of said that the Stinger Missile Program, and the, I knew about that from growing up. And then I got it just the, this, you know did lots and lots of research, which I do. but you know when you're doing research for a play, you're not doing research for a history book. it's you're, you're filling yourself up, you're filling the well with all this information, but you're not not so you can regurgitate a book report, but so you can find the weird the weird sort of defining moments and strange things that just make you go, oh that's that's I can write a scene about that. And that's the different. It, so I does that answer
0: your question? No, 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 that's absolutely uh, fantastic. You no, know, it was just, um, it's so much to, for, for me especially, because, you know, uh, early starting is so much to learn and so much to to know everything as well. And um, it's like uh, in in Wales, you know, we got the National Theatre of Wales and uh, mm. we always try to uh, try getting many projects uh, on the go. And th- there's a lot of, um, you know, we've got the pub theatres, we've got uh, a lot of opportunities coming this, this way in, in different directions. And it's like... Um, I remember when I first started in uh, university, they, um, they always try to say to us, you know, never be afraid to, even if you don't get approached, never be, never to be afraid to start out on your own and everything and uh, keep doing no, it. That's
1: true. I, I, you know, I always think that's the best, that's great that you got that advice because I think it's spot on, which is you just have to make your own work. If you sit around waiting for people, they'll never happen, with a real exception. I mean, there's there's a sort of pipeline from the sort of posh universities theater, theater writing programs now in the States. And so it's a bit different, but still doesn't mean it's going to happen for you. Mm. The rest of us, you just have to make your own work. And not only because it's better not to be sitting around, but you learn how to do it. If you have to do it all, you learn how to do it. And there's something about the act of making the work that creates some momentum and energy. Because the thing is, how do you avoid inertia? How do you avoid this sort of crippling self-doubt, which you can't always avoid, no matter what's happening in your career? But... The more you are doing and making the more you can push that away which is really useful
0: yeah because um, one
1: of one of the
0: plays that i did and it was one of my very first plays that i've written and i put it on in the hm theater which was the university's uh, sure. theater room um i called it the waiting room and it, it was basically about um, purgatory and it was just one door right and if you opened it it was like two spotlights in the back to make it beam out it's like, you come in and you come out and you have to wait in this living room. There was four characters. There was the, the soldier, the man in pyjamas, uh, the casual, I called him the casual man. I don't know why. I th- and uh, the man in the suit. And it was uh, basically um, three of them. Uh, they all had, one of them died. Uh, the casual man died. because He took his own life. Uh, the man in pyjamas died from dementia. And another one died from, he was assault- obviously the soldier, so he died in battle. But there was a, the The one character, the man in the suit, he died by i said again run over by a train and and I was thinking to myself, right, how do they all have in common so um so I tried to get the the man in suit and the casual man to have a connection where the reason why the the, the casual man passed a uh, committed suicide was because the man in suit was his former boss and he fired him for something that um it was outrageous and and it all just sort of came together and it's all the friction. And I remember putting it on in the, obviously in the atrium, it, it was, it ran for two days. Um,
1: I with, remember that two yeah. days,
0: two good days. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, but it was, what was the most, uh, I, I wouldn't say painful. It was just a, I think it was a learning curve because I should have known better, but the Rolling Stones were just playing in the Millennium same, the, the main stadium just down the road. So obviously a lot of people went to that and I just went, yep, that's a lesson Reese." Don't do that again, because <laughs> uh, it went from.
1: <laughs> I know. We only do alerting by failing. It's so yeah,
0: because it, it went from on the first night, it was literally over 100 people turning up. And then on the second night, it literally just went to about 20, 20 people just turning up. It, dude, it... I had
1: so many years running this small theater in New York City where there were more people on stage in the audience that I literally cannot sit in a theater and not count. I can look at a, I can look at an audience of any size within 10 seconds, roughly tell you often eerily correctly how many people are here because i spent so long agonizing over how many people are actually in these seats and the answer is almost no one i way to cancel a couple of performances because nobody came oh I tried, well i guess we're gonna go home
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what we did because i that's i met
1: that's the way of it that's just part of the process yeah
0: because yeah. that's what, what what with one of them i remember when uh because we opened, a, uh, we were going to start the show at half seven. And I remember it got to seven o'clock, so it was like, right, the doors are going to open, but no one was there. And I said to the actors, right, and they were all my mates, and they're all my friends. And I just said to them, right, just, just brace yourself. If we, if no one comes, just brace yourselves. And uh, and I remember just, I only paid them. I think it was just twenty pounds. But then I said, I'll give you something more. And I just gave them movie posters that I had when uh, in some of the cinemas that just uh, gave me film posters, because some of them were just going to be thrown in the bin, so I just went right and here you go, here's a poster of Murder on the Orient Express, have that one here's a Deadpool post. here you go that's okay, and uh, but I remember we got to about quarter past seven and one of the actor's girlfriends who was doing the front of house, uh, she got uh, another friend who was with her to run in the back and said actually people are here we're going to do and i went oh thank god for that how many turn up five that's okay that's fine it's more than what the cast it's more than the cast we're there <laughs> so uh
1: shepherds early sam bloody shepherds early plays often you know there was nobody then mm. nobody came right i mean there's, there's all this legendary stuff but you know how, many, how much money you make and how many people show up is not the barometer of quality it's very hard to hold on to that but it's true but yeah it's better when more people come let's be honest oh yeah
0: um in, in all fairness though because it, it was after then i did the second plane it was motel and i, I only did it to, i think um it was out of love because i have i'm a big fan of quentin Town and i don't know why i think i was just being uh, I just wanted to show a bit of a tribute to uh, Tarantino. I just said, all right, I'm going to make a play. And it's going to be called Motel. There's four different uh, eras. Uh, they, and there's some they're connected in some ways. And I put it on, not in the atrium HM Theater because I wasn't allowed, um, but I put it on this little studio. About a maximum of 40 people can br- come in. And uh, and I did it for two nights again. And I think in a combined, it was like 40 people. So I was really happy because I thought, oh, I sold out a day. So uh, I was I was happy, but... I remember um, my fiance was, um, she, she read some of it so she could proofread it and she just kept, she just looked at me and went, this is very Tarantino, what are you doing? I just went, I don't know. I'm just writing as I go along, what's going on? And uh, and in the end, people said, oh, we liked it. And I just went, yes, because it was Tarantino-based. And uh, and I look back and I think, maybe I'll go back and do it again and see what I can do differently without having some elements to it. I don't know if it was, uh, if it was, wrong of me to have a little tribute to Tarantino or whatever but that's what I did and now because um, uh, the problem is with lockdown especially in Wales is that a lot of things obviously have closed and couldn't do it but now
1: sure.
0: hopefully next year um, I could get some work done because a friend of mine read my Belfast uh, the trouble script and went I really like it can we try and do something with it and uh, I said let's, let's do something because why not and and hopefully then it'll, it'll get there, it'll get somewhere. Uh, as you said, as long as it gets somewhere, it gets somewhere and I'll be more than happy to see you on, on stage. That, that's it for me.
1: That's lovely. That's the way we are looking
0: at
1: it. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, I need to go a little bit, so let, but so what else did you wanna add? No, no,
0: I was just, uh, you no, know, just very quickly, I was just gonna say, I haven't got many uh, questions left and I was really enjoying, so I wanna say again, big thank you for-
1: It's been lovely, it is lovely, it is lovely to chat with
0: you. Um so, One thing I really wanted to uh, know is, um, is there any, uh, apart from the Tokyo Vice, uh, is there any future projects? Is there anything in particular that's really intrigued you that you may think, I want to write something about that or I want to write something? Yes,
1: but I don't want to talk about it only because, like I was saying, artistically, you, you know, if you talk too much about it, you don't end up doing it. And the weird thing is so often you have to talk to a certain point either to raise money or to get people interested, then you think, ah, shite. I talked about it. So I'm trying not to, I'm you know, trying not to, uh, I had to write a bunch of grants for a big play and so I had to explain what was going to happen so they would give them money and I'm like, ah, I wish I had done that. So I'm trying to sort of pretend that nobody knows what I'm working on. Um, but yes, I have two plays sort of working their way through my synapse uh, and I have another big um, TV sort of project that I'd like to make. And then, other, and, and hopefully those will all happen, but as is, we've talking about it. something else will come along or no one will want to do it, you just never know. But, but it, it helps me to have some things I'm thinking about. So you think, oh, there's, because, right, it's like the old actor adage, the moment the show ends, the actor thinks, well, it'll never work again. And so there's some of that with being a writer too, you think, oh, well, I, I think I know what I want to do next. So that gives me something to look forward to, 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 to not
0: fall off the cliff. Another one as well um, is just going back on being a playwright. What is, um, I think you've already answered it. And sorry if it sounds a bit of repetitive, but when it comes to being a uh, playwright, what is the, out of everything, what's the most difficult part of being a playwright? Is it the process of writing a play? Is it trying to get it on? Is it
1: during the production or is it afterwards? I think for me, in many ways, I write the play so I can be, so I can be in the process with everyone making it, the joy of the fashioning together. You know, being a player is a weird amalgam of novelist and actor. Maybe that's not a good in that, But you know, it's very private and then it's super public in a way that isn't the case for a novelist or poet or another kind of writer. So there's that, but I think the hardest, I'm just thinking I'm gonna give you an honest answer. I think the hardest part is beginning. Mm. The hardest part is leaping off the, the diving board on a regular basis, until you, know, you finally build up a head of steam and you trust that you're going somewhere.
0: And the final question for you now, JT is, I always ask the people this, how do you look back on your career so far?
1: I'm gonna quote George Clooney to you. <laughs> Love it. Go for I'm it. Amazed that it happened, just the way I'll be amazed when they take it away from me. <laughs> <laughs>